0: Thank you, ladies. Wow, fantastic. Thank you for being here on on Easter Sunday. It's a great day. In fact, I would have to say this is the best day of the year because Jesus is risen, and it is a new day. Okay. It is a new day of mercy that God has given to us. So let's just jump right in to the Easter story. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Uh, we've got a, a great service planned for you. Awesome music. Wasn't that fantastic? Praise team did good. The girls did wonderful. Man, uh, as soon as I finish preaching, we're going to have people join the church, and then we're going to have people baptized. Isn't that great? I mean, that's awesome. And then we're going to go back and, and uh, eat cookies and get our picture taken with the uh, Critters. So, I mean, that, that is awesome. So, you know, all we have to do is sandwich this message in between these great things. And, and the better you listen, the quicker I'll be. How's that? Here we go. Matthew chapter 28, I want to read the Easter story to you, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, here it is. I want you to read this, this first line with me, okay, up to the word dawning. Will you read that out loud with me? Here we go. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. So when was it? It was early Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and a new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven And he rolled the stone aside. I think he just kind of flicked it, and there it went. And then he got on top of the stone, and he sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. (laughs) He is risen from the dead just as he said it would happen. So come on inside this tomb and I'll show you where he was lying. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and as I try to speak it on the outside, would your Holy Spirit speak it into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That new day dawning is Easter. God giving us what we didn't deserve, but what we need the most, and that is his tender mercy. I want to couple that Easter story with a passage found in Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. Here's Luke 1, 78. Because of God's tender, his tender mercy, the morning light, that is that new day dawning, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us into the path of peace. So that new day dawning, Easter Sunday, God gave us what we needed the most. He didn't give us what we deserved. I'm thankful for that. He gave us what we needed, and that is his tender mercy. So church, I can say Easter is all about the mercy of God. Let me give you a definition of mercy, real simple. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. And that's the way God treats us, undeserved forgiveness. When somebody forgives you and you don't deserve it, that's mercy. And when somebody shows you a kindness that you haven't earned, that's mercy. And that's what God wants to give us, his tender mercy. So you got that? Mercy is undeserved forgiveness, and mercy is unearned kindness. You don't deserve it, but he's going to give it to you. Now, I see you're a little corn so let, let, me, let me just tell you a story that I think of when, when, when I hear this word mercy. Years ago, uh, Gary's back when I was in Pine Bluff, all right? I was a young guy, Pine Bluff. I was uh, going to preach a revival in Bryan, Texas on Sunday morning, uh at a good friend of mine's church, Bill Jones, okay? The problem was I had a wedding Saturday evening in Pine Bluff. So I did the wedding, I jumped in my car, and I took off towards Bryan, Texas. It's a long ways from Pine Bluff to Bryan, Texas. I drove all night just to get there so I could preach that Sunday morning. And so I'm driving through uh, Texas at at about two or three o'clock in the morning, and I go through this little bitty town right before I get to Bryan, and nobody is awake in that town. I mean, it's, it's a sleepy little town. Everybody's asleep. There wasn't even a dog prowling around on the streets I mean everybody was in bed and so I was just man I was just pedal to the metal driving through man I was exceeding the speed limit okay I will admit it I was going probably twice as fast as I should have been going but nobody was awake except for one guy he was a local sheriff, man. And, you know, he radared me. He pulled me over. He, he was mad as a hornet that I was speeding through his town. And he wrote me out this big ticket, and I said, dude, come on, man. Nobody's awake in this town. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You shouldn't have been breaking the law. Show you what we do to these Arkansas people who speed through Texas. <laughs> Give me the ticket. So the next day I preached, and, and uh, Bill Jones takes me over to his head deacon's house, okay? And we're, we're, we're eating lunch at this head deacon's house, and the deacon, nice old guy, he said, how was your trip, Pastor Will? And I said, oh, it was, it was all-nighter, and, you know, I had a little trouble in this little town right outside of Bryan. I got pulled over, and I got a big old fat ticket. And he said, really? He said, show me that ticket. And I had it in my pocket, so I pulled it out and showed it to him. he looked at it, and he said, yep, that's what I thought. I know that judge you're supposed to report to. In fact, I raised her. She was, she was my daughter's best friend, and she spent all of her life in my house. I, I know her. He said, here's what you do. When you call that judge, you just tell her that you know me. <laughs> and I said, hi. And he said, everything's going to be okay. I said, great, (laughs) man, that sounds good to me. So a couple of days later, Wes, I I picked up the phone. I called the judge, told her who I was, the ticket number, what the problem was. And I said, and and by the way, brother so-and-so, I ate at his house the other day. He said to tell you hi. There was this long, uncomfortable silence And after a long time, she said, I didn't even know she was still there. I thought she hung up. She said, Mr. Harmon? I said, yes, Judge. She said, what exactly are you asking of me? (laughs) Whoa. And then I just felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon me. And I said, well, Judge, I can tell you this. I'm certainly not wanting justice. How about a little bit of mercy? And she laughed and said, okay, it's taken care of. So to me, that's what mercy is, right? I'm telling you, it is undeserved forgiveness. And that's what God wants to give you. God is dispensing mercy today. You don't deserve it. But I'm telling you what, He's dispensing it. He wants to give it. I want to try to ask and answer two questions this morning. The first question is this. When do I need God's mercy in my life? And then secondly, what happens if I accept God's mercy? What transformation is going to take place? When do I need God's mercy? Three times I have identified in the Bible I need God's mercy. Number one, I need God's mercy when I've messed up. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody out there willing to admit you've messed up in life, all right? Come on, come on. I'm not going on until you admit. You. All right, all right. Most of, the rest of you, y'all definitely need to come to the altar this morning because you're, you're lying through your teeth and you're messing up right now, all right? It includes all of us, particularly me. None of us here are perfect. None of us bats 1,000. I think I stopped being perfect my second breath On planet Earth, all right? All of us are imperfect. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's standards. And let me tell you, we're all in the same boat right here. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes 7, 20 says, there is not a just man upon earth who doeth good and sinneth not. So the bottom line is, we've all messed up. We've all sinned. The question is, how does God respond to me and to you when we mess up? Here's the good news. He offers us mercy. I've got a Bible story that illustrates this. It's found in the Gospel of John. You can, you can turn over there or you can look up on the screen because we're going to put it up there. John chapter 8. Here, here we have the story of this humiliated woman who is dragged before Jesus. But, but it is a message of God's mercy. Here's what John chapter 8 says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, and they put this woman in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses says to stone her. Tell us, Jesus, what do you think we ought to do with her? Now, I'm going to keep reading here in a second, but let, let me just pause right here and say something about this scenario and this, this, this story. These teachers of the law and these Pharisees, they were church people, okay? These church people could care less about this lady, She was just a tool, a ploy to trap Jesus. They didn't care about her. In fact, they dishonored her by dragging her up in front of all of these people and saying, this woman was just caught in adultery. Now, how would you like it? Here's the scenario. How would you like it if I had each one of you come up here and stand right beside me and behind us on the screen, we played visually all of the sins you've ever committed in your life? That would be humiliating, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Would you want that to happen to you? No. But I want you to know something. Jesus didn't treat that lady this way. Was she guilty of adultery? You better believe it. Had she really sinned? You bet she had. But Jesus showed her dignity. Jesus did not publicly humiliate her. He waited till everybody else had left, and then he dealt with her one-on-one. Praise God, he does the same thing to us. Isn't that great? He treated her with dignity. So, Jesus, what do you say? Should we stone her? They were trying to, what's that word? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something so that they could use this against him. But Jesus just stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Get this, Jesus just bent down and he started doodling in the dirt with with his finger, it said. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said... All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and he wrote in the dust again. A couple of things about this. They were trying to trap Jesus. That's what the devil does. He tries to trap us. And the devil was using the Pharisees and the religious teachers to trap Jesus. Let me do a quick time out. Every single day, the devil is trying to trap you. He has traps and snares set in your way, and he's going to use your mistakes and your faults against you. So take note of that. The devil is not your friend. And just as the devil was trying to trap Jesus, the devil is going to try to trap you. And so here they are. They're asking the question. Jesus just kind of ignores them. He gets down in the dirt. He's doodling, and he makes that statement, all right? He who is without sin, let that guy throw the first rock. And then he started doodling again. Now, there has been a question in the Christian world since this happened. What was Jesus writing in the dirt? You know, what was he doodling about? Some people think he was just, he was just drawing diagrams, doodling like you do. You know, just doodle. Others think maybe he was listing the Ten Commandments. I'm with the theory. You, you just said that. I believe... He wrote every man's name who was standing there and beside their name listed their sins because he knew. And he who is without sin, that guy can throw the first rock at this lady. Verse 9 says, When the accusers heard this, they skedaddled. <laughs> oh, that's not the word that it uses. They slipped away one by one beginning with the eldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Now, I've I've read this story hundreds of times, but you know what? This past week, I stopped and I said, now, isn't that unusual? They, They departed, the eldest first down to the youngest. And I wonder, why did they leave in that order? Why did the the oldest people leave first? And and it just hit me, I don't know if it's true or not, but it hit me like a rock. It says, well, Will, you know, you ought to know that. The older you get in life, the more you realize, yeah, I did mess up. Yes, I have had failures. Yes, I wish I could go back and change that in my life. When you're young, I hate to say this, but you're pretty... Of yourself when you're young, aren't you? You're pretty arrogant. I don't know, that's just a theory. I, I, I think it's true, though. You know what? Because I've come to a point in my life, I look back and, man, there are a lot of things that I regret doing. How about you? When the accusers heard this, they, they all slipped away, and it, it just left Jesus and this woman. So Jesus stood up again, just him and this lady, and he asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, No, Lord. Nobody's condemned me. And then Jesus said this, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Isn't that awesome? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus not only forgave her. He said, You know what, lady? You're better than this. You're better than this. You can live better than this. So you go and, and do what is right. You live better than I love this. Man, I love this. This is why I love Jesus so much. Because what Jesus does, when I come to him with my messed up life, he treats me just like he treated this woman. Notice he did not condemn her. That's what the religious people had just done. And church, sometimes we're guilty of that. We like to point our finger with our religious nose up in the air and we condemn other people. Jesus didn't condemn her, nor did Jesus condone her. That's what the world does. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's okay. It, It wasn't okay. She had cheated on her husband. But Jesus didn't condemn her, nor did he condone her. You know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't condone her. He changed her. Woo, man. Isn't that great? Let me tell you, that's what it's all about. That's what he does in your life and in my life when we seek his mercy. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't condone us. He changes us from the inside out. So what does God's mercy do for me? Well, when I've messed up my life and I reach out for God's mercy, God's mercy forgives me, and God's mercy sets me free. Forgiveness takes care of my past. Freedom gives me the power to change my future. I am forgiven from my past so that I can go on with my future. Now, that's awesome. Because I'll tell you where a lot of people are. Some of you in this room, you're stuck in the past. And you can't get on to your future because you can't let your past go. But Jesus says, I want to forgive you and I want to set you free. In fact, if you remember last week's sermon, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, this is the reason I came. And he's quoting Isaiah 61. Jesus said, I was sent to announce freedom to all of those who are held in captive and forgiveness... For those who have been imprisoned. So Jesus gives freedom for captives and forgiveness to those who are in prison. And you know what? He's not talking about this little cell, this little block of a physical prison that you're in. What he is talking about, I believe, are emotional prisons that we have locked ourselves into. So what holds you captive this morning? What's got you locked up on the inside? What has enslaved you? What are you imprisoned to? You know, in a crowd this size, I would would think at least some of you are imprisoned with regret. And it's holding you as a prisoner, that regret. You regret something that you've done in your past. All of us have messed up. But some of us are held in that prison of regret and we cannot forgive ourselves for what we have done. Some of us this morning are held in the prison of resentment that that is something that someone has done to you somebody has hurt you badly and you're never going to let it go you're never going to forgive them you're never going to let another person into your life close like that because you got hurt one time and you're living in this prison of resentment oh my some of us are living in the prison of envy How come my husband can't be like her husband? (laughs) Or why can't my kids be like their kids? And you live in this prison of envy. Some of you live in a prison of worry. I'd like to ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. (laughs) I want to treat you with dignity. But you know what? I'd have to raise my hand right there. Sometimes I find that I'm living in this prison of worry. You worry constantly. You worry so much that you become sick and tired. And sometimes you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Others of you are living in a prison of addiction. You have allowed something else into your body. And now you, you can't live without that thing. And you're a slave to it. Others of us are imprisoned to a secret sin that we don't think anyone else knows about. But let me tell you, God knows about it. So what does Jesus have to say about all this? Well, let me show you what he says. John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 47. Here's what Jesus says. Read this out loud with me. I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Really? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world. What I came to do is save the world. Now, guys, I want you to know it. Let's be real clear about this. There is going to be a judgment day. Okay? Judgment day is coming. The Bible is very clear about this. There is going to be a time when everyone will have to stand before God and give an account of their life. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never reached out and took a big old handful of that mercy that we're talking about today, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, on that day, you're going to be judged. And you'll be cast into a lake of fire. That's what God is going to do at the end time. But that's not why Jesus, Jesus didn't come to judge us. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to forgive us. Jesus came to give us mercy and grace. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus is here today to give you that mercy and that salvation. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, James 2.13. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God for that. I'm looking at a whole bunch of people out here, and if I had a mirror, I'd be looking at another one. We don't need God's judgment. We need His mercy. And today, you can have His mercy. Number one, I need God's mercy when I mess up. Number two, and I'll go quick now, I need God's mercy when I don't have all that I need. I need God's mercy when I don't have what I need. And the fact of life is... All of us have needs in our life. None of us have everything that we need within ourselves because we are finite. We are incomplete. We are broken people with weaknesses. We all have things that we lack in life. None of you have all of the talents that that other people have, right? I mean, I, I really got into those ladies singing, didn't you? Man, they're talented. They got a great voice. God didn't give me that talent, okay? There are a lot of things I don't have the talent to do, you know? I just don't. Not everybody has all the abilities. There are some things that I I just can't do. I don't have the ability to do it. Nobody has all the talents or all the abilities. And you know what? That was intentional on God's part. God gave us all different talents and different abilities, but he didn't give us everything. Because if he gave you everything, you would be perfect. And you would have no need for God in your life. Nor would you need other people. And on top of that, we all have, dis- we all have disabilities. We are all disabled in different ways. You say, preacher, you, I don't want to hear this. Quit talking about this to me. Well, It's true. We all have disabilities. Every one of us in here have mental disabilities. That is, you can't think in certain ways like other people can think, okay? I mean, I'm pretty simple-minded, but I'm not a dummy, all right, I've been to seminary, I've I've got a master's degree, you know, but there are some things that just fry my brain when I try to think about them, like math. I hate math, I can do this, Ought plus odd equals not. I've got Jeff Robodeen math skills. All right, now my my kids, they, they you know they're great at math. Oh Zaner, man, he's he he gets into that stuff. And man, I just I, I look at the problems he's solving, and, and my brain just shuts off. Can anybody relate to that? I don't know. One day I was flipping through the channels, and and I I came across this weird show. It was just a a lady standing in front of this white board, this marker board, and she was writing equations, these weird-looking equations on this board, and didn't talk. She was just writing equations, and I thought, how stupid. (laughs) I thought to myself, who in the world would watch something like that? Well, there are people in our church who watch it. One of them's right there. You love it, don't you? I mean, you, that, that, that is just, that, that sparks her mind and her thinking, not me. It shuts my brain down. I have mental disabilities there, and so do you. You know what? Everybody in this room has emotional disabilities. How do I know that? Because I see these things coming up over and over in your life and in your relationships. And you fall into the same trap time and time again. You have the same arguments with the same people and the same conflict. Why? Because you have emotional disabilities. And for some of you, you live in a dysfunctional home because you don't have the ability to get along with other people. I know I need to go on. But you know what? There are others in this room who have physical disabilities. Have you looked in the mirror lately? That's supposed to be funny. I'm just gonna, your body is not perfect. Okay? All of us have physical disabilities. Uh, one, one of my favorite athletes is Ronnie Coleman. Okay? Ronnie grew up, I think, in Louisiana. He moved to Texas and uh, got on at the Arlington Police Department, uh, joined a little, little, little rough gym in there in Arlington, started lifting weights and realized that his muscles could grow big. And Ronnie Coleman became Mr. Olympian eight times. Eight-time Mr. Olympian. His physique in in the prime of his life, he had the best physique of any man on planet Earth. Ronnie Coleman. You know what? Since then, Ronnie's had over a dozen back surgeries, and he can just barely walk now. It's horrible. I I feel the same way some mornings. You know, I get out of bed, and I think, oh, man, my back. Uh," I take that first step. Oh, my knee. On my shoulder. Well, I say, that's the way I used to be. Now I don't even have to get out of the bed. Because these body parts are waking me up. You know? We all have these kind of disabilities. Why? Because God made us to be dependent. Are you with me? In America, we think independence is the highest priority. But you know what? Dependence is not a bad word. Dependence is just another word for trust, which is another word for faith, and that's what God wants us to have in him. Because here's the deal. If you don't depend upon God and all you're doing is depending upon yourself, you're going to have a very small life. You're going to live in a really little world. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to become aggra- aggravated and frustrated and angry because you don't have everything you need. And if you just try to do it on your own, you know what that is? is—the big zero. That's what you're going to come with. I've, I've got a Bible story about this. You want to hear it? Yes. Okay, let's, let's go to it real quick. John chapter 5. My Bible story is in John chapter 5. It's a great little story, John chapter 5. Am I boring you? I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm, I know you want a cookie, so let's, let's hurry here. <laughs> Verse 1, John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, okay? This, the gate went all the way around Jerusalem. Here was a big gate. It's called the Sheep Gate. Do you know why it was called the Sheep Gate? Because that's the gate the sheep went through, all right? So now you're smarter in the Bible just because you came. Near the sheep gate was this pool. What was it called? The Pool of Bethesda. It had five covered porches and crowds of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people. They would gather every day and they would lay around on these porches. Now, here's the reason they came to the Pool of Bethesda there was a legend. That at certain times, an angel would come down from heaven and get in that pool. And when the angel got in the pool, the water would start bubbling up. And so the people would be laying around waiting for the water to bubble. They didn't know if it was going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, next month. But whenever that water bubbled, the legend said the first person who was able to get in the water would be healed. So here are all these blind and lame and paralyzed people. They're they're all around the pool of Bethesda. Verse 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for how long? 38 years. Can you imagine? He was paralyzed. For 38 years, somebody had dragged him every day to the pool of Bethesda. For 38 years, he had been laying there. Hoping and waiting and praying that he would be quick enough to get into the water when the water started bubbling up. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill a long time, Jesus asked him a question. you got to love this, man. Here's what Jesus said to him. Would you like to get well? (laughs) Duh. Duh. I mean, I've been laying here 38 years. Now I don't know. To me, here's here's the way my mind works. This is either a yes or no answer. Do you want to get well? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, here's here's the craziest thing. Here's the craziest thing. I wish here. Just wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Therapy with Brother Will. <laughs> Doctor, Dr. Will. <laughs> no, the craziest thing. I've been, I've been pastoring my whole life. Okay, I've, I've talked to hundreds of people about their messed up life and the problems they have. Here's, here's, what, here's what I've come to realize, though. People will come and, and talk, and they, they, they say they want an answer to their problem. But you know what? Really, they don't cuz it's, it's the craziest thing somehow some way let me get over here cuz people up there can't somehow some way we become comfortable in our pain we become comfortable with our problems yeah our life is a mess our relationships are horrible yes i'm dealing with this problem every single day that i can't solve it is an impossible problem and i can't fix it i've been living this way 38 years but you know what I'm comfortable with that because that's my life. And if things did change and I did get better and this relationship did get worked out, I don't, how how would I deal with that? So I don't know. That's our time together. It's crazy. Do you want to get well? He didn't say yes. Yes. He didn't say no. What did he say? I can't, sir. Really? That's that's the best he can. I can't? And I got to thinking about it. You know what? That's us. Pastor, I just can't. I've tried everything I can try. I've I've seen everybody I can see. I've, I've done everything I can do. And I can't. I can't make it better. I can't fix the problem. I can't do it. And I don't know, I, I can almost sense the aggravation and the frustration in this man's life because to him it was impossible. 38 years he had been lying there. 38 years he had dealt with this. Never been able to fix it. Impossible. But then listen to what he said. I can't because... I have nobody to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Nobody is willing to help me because everybody's looking out for themselves. And beyond that, somebody else always gets in ahead of me. And so he gives these excuses. Can't. Look what Jesus said to him. He didn't answer him. He just said, okay, stand up, pick up your sleeping bag, and walk. And immediately, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag, and he started walking off. Come on, guys. Come on. Wow. Give God a hand. Wow. Here's the deal. I need God's mercy when I don't have what I need. And God's mercy makes the impossible possible. He can do things that you can't do. He has the power that you don't have. He has resources that we never thought of. God makes the impossible possible. So, before I move on, let me ask you, what's the impossible problem in your life? Huh? You go, that one that's never going to happen, preacher. That thing that is never going to get better. I've I've been lying by that pool for 38 years, and I still have... The regrets and the resentment and the anger and the addictions and the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups. Dude, do I have good news for you today? Jesus can change all of that. He can take your impossible situation and do something good through that. He can make the impossible possible. Finally, number three, and I'm just about done. I need God's mercy when I'm facing death. I'm about to talk about something you don't want to talk about, but let's talk about it anyway. Only a fool would go all the way through their life unprepared for what they know is inevitable. And death is universal. I don't know. The last time I checked, the mortality rate in the world is still 100%. Come on. Come on, catch up with me, kids. Come on. We're all going to die. Death is inevitable. Death is unpredictable. You don't know when it's going to happen. And there are a lot of people who are afraid of death. They're fearful of death. They don't know what's going to happen to them, and they fear it. Can I tell you something? I haven't been afraid of dying for a long time. Why? Because I've met the mercy of God. My sins have been forgiven. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know that when I take my last breath here, I'm going to be in heaven. And dude, let me tell you, there's nothing like that. But for the person who doesn't know the mercy of God, for the person who's never been saved or born again, for the person whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, let me tell you, you better be afraid. You better be afraid. And you probably don't like talking about what we're talking about. But let me just give you one last story, okay? Are you with me? One last little story. Here it is. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. It's a story of a dying man. Jesus is on the cross, okay? He's dying for our sins. But there are two other guys dying beside him on either side of him. They were both criminals. Both of these guys were thieves. So three men hanging on the cross. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed at Jesus. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Save yourself. And why don't you save us too? Hey? Mocking Jesus, scoffing at Jesus. But the other criminal on the other side protested. He said, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me When you come into your kingdom. That's it. Remember me. That's about the shortest confession prayer I've ever heard. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. Dude, let me tell you, that is good right there, man. You talk about deathbed confession. (laughs) This guy prayed one of those prayers And what did Jesus say? Done. Done deal. We're we're about to die, me and you. We're about to die. We're about to pass from this life. But you know what? You're going to wake up in paradise, and we're going to be there together. Let me tell you, that's awesome, guys. Because here's the deal. When you reach out for God's mercy, listen to me, listen to me. God's mercy will save you for all eternity. Wow, what a deal. What a deal. What a deal. Now, let me end by telling you a true story. This guy's name was Clint Dennis. Clint grew up a thief. Even from a little kid, he'd go to the candy store and steal gum and candy, and he got pretty good at it. And so he uh, expanded his career (laughs) when he got older and would steal bigger things, and 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 he he would steal cars and trucks and even robbed a bank. He got caught though several times, put in jail. He spent ten years in prison, and after he got out of prison, after that ten year stint, he was uh, he was much older in life, and he got out of jail, didn't have any place to go, didn't have uh, any income, and. He, he realized he, he ruined his life. His life was a mess. Didn't have anything. And he thought, you know what, this, this has got to change. I can't keep living like this. And he remembered when he was a little kid, his grandmother took him to church. It was an Assembly of God church. And so he thought, you know what, I'll go to church, see if I can find anything at church. And so he, he, he went to the nearest church, which happened to be First Assembly of God Church in Phoenix, Arizona. It was this Palm Sunday, Sunday before Easter. There's a huge crowd there. And he saw a bunch of people going in this one door. And he thought, well, that must be the main door of the church because all these people were going through. And so he just walked in with them. But it wasn't the main entrance. It was the choir entrance to the choir room. And he looked around and he saw all these people. They were putting on costumes and, and putting on these, these headgear things. They were getting ready for a big production of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so here Clint is just standing there, and he's looking around at all these people putting these costumes on. He hadn't been in church since he was a little kid. He's a criminal. He's a thief. And now he's, standing, he's looking around, what in the world is going on? guy came up to him. He's the production uh, director. And he said, hey, dude, he said, glad you're in here. We could use you in a crowd scene. Would, would you like to volunteer to be in the crowd scene? <laughs> Clint said, okay. <laughs> He said, let me take you out on the stage, and I'll show you what to do. Of course, the curtains were drawn. There were people out in the audience, but the curtains were drawn. So the production guy brought him out here, and he said, okay, we're going to have the crowd scene over here, and we just will give you a costume. You just be here in the crowd scene. You can be doing this. About that time, another guy came running out on the stage. He said, hey, 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 man, we got problems. One of the criminals didn't show up. <laughs> got hanging on the cross with Jesus. One of, them, one of them can't make it. And so the guy looked at Clint and said, you want to be the thief on the cross? True story. True story. (laughs) He was a thief, man. He said, Okay, what do I do? So they took him over to the three crosses and said, Okay, Jesus is going to be on this cross. One guy's going to be on this cross. You're going to be on this cross. We're going to have this conversation. Real simple line. This is all you got to say. You think you can do that? Clint said, "I, I. I guess I can. The guy saw a tear dropping down from his eye. And he said, hey, hey dude, let's just stop right here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever been saved? Clint said, no, but I think that's why I'm here. And so right there at the cross, they knelt down. And a thief was saved a thief was saved he got a little bit of that mercy I want to close with John chapter 11 verse 25 Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he dies he'll live again Jesus is here today to dispense mercy You don't deserve it, but you need it.